Just imagine that you now say, hey, I don't like Facebook. I don't like Google. I don't like smartphones. Man, too late. Now they are part of our life. You should find the right moment in time where we have sufficient knowledge about the risks in the working of technology and still some control. And everything will depend, and that's the topic of today, on the question whether we will be able as a society to govern and direct technology in the right direction. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. In this episode of the Strzelka Institute podcast, we share a lecture by Filippo Santoni de Sio, professor at Delft University and Politecnico di Milano, who will introduce some general concepts of ethics and philosophy of technology. The topic of today is this. Whether we like it or not, our future is full of artificial intelligence and robots. This is just a fact. Devices and systems like the ones we have on our smartphones will take more and more space in our life. They will uh, assist us in, uh, in, in our healthcare practices. They will participate in warfare. They will uh, operate us in a surgical theater. They will take financial decision. Uh, they will uh, set the stage for human interactions the way we are doing right now, by the way, through these online uh, lectures and so on and so forth. So when you think of this future full of uh, robots and artificial intelligence, what is your first reactions? There are two options here. There are those who say, you know, thanks to this technology, uh, we will all be uh, smarter, uh, everything will be more comfortable, and we will be uh, happier, healthier, everything will be easier, we will be richer even, etc., etc. But there's another option. Many people think that now this technology will eventually, it's, it's an illusion of happiness, will eventually turn against us. We will become less happy, uh, we will become unemployed, the technology will damage us, will even enslave us, damage us, dehumanize us, or even kill us somehow. In my experience, there is no clear winner in this election. Both scenarios are still possible and open. And everything will depend, and that's the topic of today, on the question whether we will be able, as a society, to govern and direct technology in the right direction. So this is the topic of today. Can we control technology and artificial intelligence in particular? So in the first part of this lecture, I will try to convince you that there is a serious risk for us to lose control over artificial intelligence and robots. In the second part, I will try to, to explain how I think we should try to prevent this. Now, before we start, uh, I've just taken for granted so far that you know what artificial intelligence and robots are. So before we start, just a couple of words to explain what this is. So basically, artificial intelligence is that set of systems that try to think and to perform tasks that so far were considered to be possible only for humans. So not only doing calculations, not only doing pre-programmed actions, but interpreting uh, language, uh, coming up with original decision-making processes, and so on and so forth. I will take examples from the commercial space because it's easier. Uh, it's for non-professionals, but you know, these home assistants that are around now, like the Google Voice or Alexa, etc., etc. What, what these systems do is basically just interpreting your voice 
translating your voice and your sounds into some concepts, understanding, as it were, your question, and taking a decision about what is the best answer to give to you based on some information they have, but also based on the, inter the previous interaction with you. So in a way that try to mimic uh, the way human mind works. So this is, in a nutshell, artificial intelligence. Any system that try to interpret uh, information to come up with original decision-making and to give an output that makes kind of sense or is helpful to the persons or the systems interacting with it. Now, what is a robot? A robot is just artificial. You should not necessarily imagine, you know, the Android robots uh, like we see in films, but in technical terms, a robot is any artificial intelligence with some possibility to, to do physical action in the space, having legs or wheels or arms or, or whatever can help moving and doing stuff in the, in, the, in the physical space, in the bodily space. My favorite example is the robot vacuum cleaner. It's my dream, right? So you just have this thing that uh, goes around your apartment, it sees the furniture, it gets around them, it sees where it's still dirty, it cleans it up when it's, you know, when it's, uh, the battery is down, it goes autonomously to the battery charger and so on and so forth. So it's just artificial intelligence with the capacity to move and to perform tasks in the physical and bodily environment. Now, back to our question, how can it happen that robots may go outside of control? So in order to understand why this is possible right now more than in the future with previous technologies, we need to understand uh, what has changed with artificial intelligence as we know it right now, uh, as opposed to old school computers and old school technologies. So the best way to understand this is to look at the way we can conceive of controlling this technology. Old school technologies, it was just mechanical stuff, pre-programmed stuff. So what, and there would be one or a few controllers, so people directly acting on the technology. Intelligent systems, which is the topic of today, like artificial intelligent robots, uh, especially in the, in the last generation, their last generation are different. We should think in this way, these are systems that are not designed once for all. So once these systems are out there, they will start behaving in ways that are not necessarily pre-programmed, which is the exciting part of the story, which is that's why they kind of resemble human intelligence uh, more than old technology, but at the same time is also the challenging and potentially creepy part. These, these systems may start behaving in ways that are not predictable and not even understandable even by designers. So for you guys, this is a game changer because in the past, the role of the designer and the role of the user was clearly separated. You would have the designer projecting the technology, designing the technology, and then you would have the user with the limited options and you know the technology remaining as it is, uh, etc., etc. Now, with new technologies, what happens is that as a user, by interacting with the technology, you are co-designing the technology. You are giving input to the technology to change. And you see that also with your simple, relatively simple forms of artificial intelligence, like the ones you have on your smartphone or the one embedded in, in search engines. They change their behavior based on the interaction with you and you can change the settings and you can intentionally or less intentionally 
uh, interact and change the way they behave. So they become a dynamic, almost living systems, changing and living in sort of a symbiosis with the users and most also importantly with other people who are not directly using the system but are intentionally or not intentionally interacting with, with them. Right, so this is why I hope I just wanted to convey the message that this is really something new. Could be interesting, could be fun, could be concerning, etc. But what is important is that we agree that this is uh, new. Now, what can go wrong uh, with this technology? In what way can we lose control on technology and why does that matter? So I want to propose four ways in which uh, things can go wrong and things can go out of control, even though not necessarily in the way in which it happens in, in science fiction films, but still in ways that are worth considering very seriously. So the first way in which we may lose control over AI and robots, I would say AI uh, for artificial intelligence from now on, is, uh, is the following. So robots may create a big shift of power in favor of a handful of people, of few people, companies or states. Those who are in control of the data which feed and make these systems work, these guys, these persons, these companies, these states will become super powerful. They will be able to control your behavior, both in the sense of having a massive amount of information about you in real time, uh, every day, etc., etc., and also in the other way. They will be able to influence you by putting data and information into the behavior of the systems with which you interact. So the, obvious, the most obvious example of how in two, three simple steps this could happen is the Cambridge Analytica scandal, which I'm sure you are familiar with. So what happened is that it all started with an apparently innocuous application on Facebook so basically, you are just spending your time on Facebook, you're on your sofa, and at some point there is this app saying, hey, do you want to try this app? What this app does is an extension of Facebook. What it does, it just check all your activity on Facebook and it will make an interesting personality test and telling you what kind of person you are. And I say, oh, that's fun, cool, let's do that. You click on that and then there is this long page of terms and conditions say, okay, by accepting this, you're accepting that, you say whatever. And so you click on continue and, and the game is done. At that point, you have given access to all your personal information on your Facebook to this external app. Now what happened is that this external app has this pool of data and they know that this data are super valuable uh, because if you have the right scientific and technological tools, with this data, you can do fantastic things. And so this data, long story short, was sold to this other company. And this other company used this data eventually uh, to support certain governments in, in their attempt at influencing elections, like the American elections or the Brexit referendum and so on and so forth. So what's fascinating, but also creeping this story is that you think you haven't done anything special. You were just playing on your Facebook and you think that was just an innocuous game, but you were contributing uh, without knowing that in creating this massive pool of data that was then accumulating in the hands of this company who could then use that for big political projects or big economic projects that may turn against you. So that's the way in which technology can turn against you. 
The second way in which technology may turn against you is the following. It has to do with technology replacing us in uh, our jobs. This is another old story, right? So we have had this fear of becoming unemployed because of technology for a long time. It was there in the first industrial revolution with, you know, with the mechanical robots entering the factory floors. And then we had the same fear with the first generation of computers back in the 60s. And now we have the same fear. So there are some people say, you know what? We are sick and tired about this fear. We know the story. In the beginning, people are fearing this. But then what happens is that, no, in the long run, everything goes well because this technology destroys some jobs, but create other jobs. And in the long run, this is typically what the economists say, in the long run, the overall result would be, will be positive. Some people will lose jobs, but many other jobs will be created. There will be a transition time, but in the long run, as a society, we will be all right. I think this time may be different. It's not just me saying that. There are a lot of also economists and experts in business and technology uh, and sociology who would agree with me. And this is one book by Martin Ford, uh, The Rise of Robots, of the robots, who basically present a good case to support the idea that this time can be different. So just looking at the past is not the right thing to do right now. Why is it different this time? Well, uh, for a couple of important reasons. First of all, as I said, this time, technology is not only replacing our physical jobs. It's not just about muscles, it's about minds. So technology this time will be able to replace a lot of mental work. And this is totally new. So in the past, we would have machines replacing uh, repetitive works in factory. We would have computers making calculations for us, but we would still need having people putting the data in, people analyzing the results of these calculations. So the role of the computers and machines were very, was very limited. The future we are looking at is a, is a future in which machines are replacing a broader set of tasks. Machines will be able to do jobs that were unthinkable for machines before. They will be able to do medical diagnosis, accountancy, financial transactions. Uh, they will be able to uh, acquire data on their own, analyzing data on their own. So, you know, there is this good old wisdom say, you know, machine can work with humans, but you will always need humans to, you know, to put data into them, to analyze data, or to make, you know, the maintenance of the machine, to program the machines. Well, not really. So next generation of machines will be able to replace us in in mental jobs. We will have journalist machines putting news together. We will have machines, as far as I'm concerned, as a researcher in the university, we will have machines putting together research article and uh, scientific hypothesis just by elaborating data and recognizing patterns in, in, in the way. So future generation machines will be able to imitate a lot of what the humans can do. So I'm not saying that they will be able to do everything. I'm not saying that they will be undistinguishable from uh, human persons, not at all. They will be relatively stupid compared to humans in many tasks, but they will be super powerful in other tasks so that a lot of the jobs that we used to see as typical of humans will be done by machines. Why is this technology taking over? In a way, it is because 
one possible option for the future is one in which humans will be left with only the super difficult creative managerial tasks, just a few persons, you know, those who are running the big tech companies, the gigs in the Silicon Valley, coming up with new apps and new programs, etc., etc. Those jobs will remain for sure. And then you will, we will have, you know, the very ill-paid jobs like waiters or cleaning persons. Why? Because typically, uh, this is a bit of ironic, but robots are very bad at things that are quite simple for human persons, like moving in a crowded uh, restaurant while carrying uh, dishes, plates, and, and glasses. For some reason, it's super difficult to program a robot to, you know, uh, swiftly move into a crowded places, for instance. So waiters will remain uh, and, and cleaning persons will remain, etc., uh, etc. Et but a lot of the typical middle class jobs, office jobs will be gone. And again, why is that a problem? Well, it is a problem, obviously, not only because these people will remain unemployed and without a salary, there could be solutions for that, there could be new forms of state subsidies, etc., etc. But what is concerning is that for a lot of people, there will be a loss of meaning. So people will have a hard time finding the meaning in their life. So I understand this may sound like a very philosophical notion, but it's not, it's a very concrete thing. You will wake up in the morning, maybe you will have some money to spend because then you may have some subsidy or stuff, but you may not know who you are anymore and what's your role in the world. So in this way, technology, again, is not necessarily destroying, literally destroying humanity or taking over the world, but it may take away meaning from our life, from the life of many persons. The third uh, risk I see uh, in technology uh, and artificial intelligence is the following. You know, there was this old British uh, TV show called uh, Little Britain, and there was this character uh, working on a computer and having, you know, a job in which they, he would assist customers and the public with things. And at some point, she would just type stuff into a computer and she would say, sorry, computer says no. So again, at the time, back in the days, that, that was a caricature of someone who would delegate important tasks to the computer without even understanding uh, how the computer works and just taking for granted whatever comes from the computer. Now, unfortunately, again, this is something that may become quite uh, common in our future life. Here's a simple example. You apply for a job, you fill in the application, etc., etc., or you apply for a mortgage or whatever you think is important in your life. And then, exactly like in Little Britain, uh, someone, you receive an email say, sorry, you haven't been selected for this job, or sorry, you don't qualify to get a mortgage or a loan from a bank. And then, you know, the most natural thing for you to do would be to ask why. You want to understand, you want to know whether they, the selection procedure was fair, you want to possibly uh, contest the decision, or at least you want to learn for the future, to complete your curriculum or to whatever, to change something in the future, to get things different in the future. But like in Little Britain, you may receive this answer like, sorry, we have no idea why you have been, uh, your application has been turned down, 
The system has just elaborating all your data based on some form of artificial intelligence and algorithm based on the match with some database, etc. But the system is so complex that we have no idea why you have been selected or not. We just know that the system is very powerful. So we trust the system and you should trust the system. Now, again, why is this a problem? Uh, you know, there are some people, people in the dream party who would say, okay, that's all right. Uh, the system is more intelligent than we are. Uh, it can just, uh, you know, elaborate and analyze more data than we could ever do in the same time. So we should just trust it. The problem is that if you believe, as I do, in, in the importance of transparency and liberal democracy, uh, you just don't want to trust the power. You just don't want to say, okay, I just trust that these guys or these systems or these institutions are doing their job and I'm happy with that and I will accept whatever they do because I know that they are working for our well-being. Well, no, well, I want to know how, does, how that works before trusting it. And if we go more and more in the direction of these complex interactive systems analyzing big data, massive amount of different data coming from different sources, through complex mechanisms that are partially not understandable, definitely to the uh, lay persons, but sometimes even to the experts, then we are running the risk of what it's called in the, in the, in the jargon, an accountability gap. So basically, what is an accountability gap? is a situation in which something happens, something important, something affecting the life of people, and people want to know what's going on, for the reasons I mentioned before. And this is not possible because there is nobody who is capable or willing or both to give an explanation, to give a meaningful explanation of what happened. This is the accountability gap risk. Again, it's not technology taking over as in destroying you, killing you, but it's still technology reducing our capacity to understand what's going on and taking on decisions and information from normal persons. Now, the last example is as close as it gets to the Terminator, if you want, to the technology physically harming or killing you without you being able to prevent that or even to understand what's going on. And in order to understand this risk, I just need to take, a, unfortunately, I don't need to make up a story uh, because there is a, a real story that happened. Actually, there are a couple of them, but the most tragic one is the one happened in Arizona, USA, uh, in 2018, uh, two years ago. So Uber was testing, uh, with the permission of the, Arizona, of the state of Arizona, a self-driving car on the public road. It elaborates information coming from sensors and cameras. It somehow sees the road and can drive across the road uh, without the, the human driver doing anything. Now, in that specific version, there was actually a human driver on board who was supposed to intervene in case something uh, went wrong. And actually, something went wrong. And what happened is that was, there was a lady crossing the road with her bicycle in the night. So it was pretty dark, and this person was crossing the road outside uh, uh, the pedestrian crossing. And so the car didn't spot that person and the driver was busy doing something else, checking their phone. And what happened is that unfortunately the car ran over the lady and the lady was killed. Now, this is uh, a robot, right? This is 
this vividly represents the difference between a robot and a simple AI, because it's a physical thing hitting you. Now, the question is, who is to blame for the death of this poor person? You may say, hey, is, is clearly the company, they were not supposed to, to put this car on the road if the car was not even able to spot a person. But the company may say, hey, no, not really. We put a person on board precisely because the technology was not good enough. But a person could say, hey, but I didn't receive any specific training for this kind of drive. I just have a normal driving license. And when I did my driving license, there was no such a thing as a self-driving car. So don't, don't blame me. And you know what? How about the government who allowed this car on the road and me driving this car? So what this situation represents is what is called a responsibility gaps. So it is unclear. So someone has been killed and we are not clear who was supposed to do what in order to prevent this uh, death. Why? Because there are different persons and institutions involved and everything is new and everything is complex and interactive and dynamic. And we don't yet have the right concepts to make sense of who is supposed to do what in order to prevent uh, this death by technology. So again, it's not necessarily technology becoming super smart like in, in uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, but it's technology becoming so complex so as to be able to kill people, literally, while at the same time nobody being really sure about who was supposed to do what in order to prevent this death. Now, you may still be wondering why someone like me, who has always done just academic work, uh, should talk about this stuff. You may think this is stuff for engineers, politicians, economists to, to sort out. Now, the reason is that I do believe that nowadays uh, philosophy still has a role to play because, as I said, and I, as I hope these concepts that I uh, quickly put um, on the table show, we are facing not only technological change, but a change in the meanings of concepts, the concept of power, the concept of political power, the concept of responsibility, accountability. What does it mean to work in this age? So we need some good philosophy to make sense, together with many other disciplines, not, not alone, to make sense of this change and to govern this change. We should avoid what uh, uh, the Belarus uh, journalist Eugeny Morozov has called solutionism. We should avoid the temptation to believe that we just need better technology and we will be all right. This is a political problem. This is societal problem. It's a philosophical problem. So technology is part of the story, but the way we will design technology, the way we will govern technology, uh, the way we will understand and make sense of technology is also an important part of the story. So in the last part of my lecture, I quickly want to uh, say something about what are we supposed to do? So I'm coming to the dream party. So you guys who say, no, I, I still believe we have a bright future in front of us. You know, I think you have a point, but there are a lot of things we should do uh, if we want this future to realize. We should not just wait for technology to do its course because otherwise, it can really go wrong. So as a society, we should do something. But when, how, why, and what should we do? So the when part is pretty simple in a way. It is now. The technology is already there, but it's not developed fully. So we still have the possibility to intervene. But the problem is that at that time, we don't have sufficient knowledge 
of how the technology will look like. So we have control, but we don't have knowledge. The opposite is, if we wait for the technology to develop, then we will have all the knowledge about the effects of technology on society and on humanity, but we will have little control. Why? Because once the technology is developed and introduced into the society, it's very difficult to change it. Just imagine that you now say, hey, I don't like Facebook, I don't like Google, I don't like smartphones. Man, too late. Now they are part of our life. They are super powerful economical and political interest in this technology. So it's too late to change it. So we should like, we should find the right moment in time where we have sufficient knowledge about the risks in the working of technology and still some control. And it's an open question whether this time is already gone for AI and robotics. Some people say it's already too late. Other people say, well, we still have some leeway. Anyway, for sure, uh, it is time now to do something, to design and to govern these technologies in a way that is beneficial for society. And I don't want to make publicity uh, for my university because my university is not perfect. And, you know, there are a lot of things that uh, should be improved in my university. Uh, so don't get me wrong. But there's one thing I like very much about my university in Delft, the Delft University of Technology, and it's the structure of my faculty. My faculty is called, the faculty where I work, is called Technology Policy and Management. And the whole idea is precisely to have under the same roof engineers, social, social scientists, lawyers, psychologists, philosophers, economists, all working together, ideally, then it's not easy, it's just the start of the process, towards what is called responsible innovation. The idea is not that innovation is not good in itself. It is good only so far as it really gives something to meaningful to humanity and to people and to all people and not just some of them. So the why we should care, uh, you know, there is the, this old saying, you know, technology is not good or bad. It all depends on how you use it. You can use it for good and for bad. I think this is not true, especially with present day technology, uh, because design matters. And I'm talking again to designers in the, in the virtual room here. So the way we design technology will close opportunities uh, for certain people and open opportunities for others. And certain options will simply not be open anymore. So nowadays, you cannot decide not to give your data whenever you use the internet. So it's just impossible. If we want to use the technology, you have to use it that way. And you have to use the technology if you want to have a job or to have any possible intera social interaction nowadays. So technology is influencing dramatically the way we, we live. This is obvious. And so the way technology is designed will have a massive effect of the way we will be living. And we will not always have the choice whether to use the technology or not, or how to use the technology. So that's why we should uh, care now as citizens, as, as, as designers. Um, the what is the very last part of my, of my lecture, is what should we do? And in a nutshell, I think we should, my contribution as a philosopher is just changing our understanding what control means. So nowadays we are looking at systems that are dynamic, intelligent, interactive. So the good old idea of controlling as, you know, throwing switches and doing stuff to control a simple device will not work. And the example of the 
self-driving cars doing unpredictable thing and interacting the wrong way with the driver is a standard example of things that can go wrong with these intelligent technologies. Now, what I want to say in a nutshell is the following. We need a new concept of control. The traditional concept of control in engineering is the following. This is just one example, uh, but you can apply it to all possible technologies. So whenever it comes to, for instance, self-driving cars, you may have the idea that the more you have your hands on the steering wheel, the more you are in control. Or the more you can interact with your smartphone, the more you can control what the smartphone is doing for you and to you, and so on and so forth. Now, as a matter of fact, this is not true because uh, this could be a very shallow form of control. So physical control, physical interaction is not necessarily what will determine what's happening with the technology. So we need what we call, what I call and other call meaningful human controls. We want design systems that are able to respond not only to what individual users do, but also to what individual users need and to what other peoples in society need, to our general goals, our general principles, and not only to the immediate actions of the people who interact with the technology, or even more only to the goals and values and projects of the big companies and the few people who are able to uh, influence the overall behavior of this complex system. So this is a natural what is meaningful human control. It's a form of control that looks at the interaction or the complex interaction of technology with humanity uh, at the level of our principal values and try to design this principle and values in interaction with technology and not just leaving this interaction to the uh, superficial behavior of untrained users on the one hand and the general goal of the companies or the states controlling this technology. Filippo was part of our public program Strzelka 2020 Live. His full lecture followed by Q&A is available at the Strzelka Institute YouTube channel via the link in the episode description. Stay tuned for the next episodes of the Strzelka podcast and don't forget to leave your feedback in the review section on iTunes.